This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. It's good to see you today. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. If you're a guest, we're thrilled that you're here with us today. Uh, You're joining us on the second week of our summer message series, where we are walking through the book of Philippians. We've called it Keep Moving. Um, Philippians is an incredible letter written by the Apostle Paul. It has so much encouragement for us. Each summer at Christian Chapel, we choose one of these shorter books of the Bible and work through it over the course of two or three months. Um, what we have found is it's, it's just an incredibly powerful way for us to see how so many times words that were written 2,000 years ago uh, feel as if they were written yesterday because they speak directly to our situation, not just culturally, not just globally, but specifically and personally to our lives. And so we're going to take the next 12 or 13 weeks and kind of slowly walk through Philippians and find out how the same encouraging words Paul writes then continue to bring encouragement and hope to us now. Now, Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to a church that he started uh, in Philippi, thus the name Philippians. Paul uh, started this church, and then he had to leave. When he writes the letter to the Philippians, he's sitting in a Roman prison and writing back to them basically to say, hey, I, uh, I'm proud of you guys. I've heard that you're still following Jesus. I want to encourage you to keep doing it. He writes some great passages about who Jesus is, what he's done, some wonderful passages about how that changes our life. And really, Philippians is just Paul coming at the church, coming to us with wave after wave of encouragement, which is why, for a lot of believers, Philippians winds up being one of their favorite books of the Bible. Because it's, it's just, do you ever get tired of somebody saying, you're doing a great job, keep going, Jesus is with you, Jesus is for you? The answer is no, right? Unless there is something seriously wrong with you, in which case there's a prayer room after service. Uh, but for the most of us, we can just hear that again and again and again and again. And that's what Paul does. So my hope for us as a church is over the course of the summer, we are just tremendously encouraged that what Jesus has started in us, he is going to finish with his power for his glory and for our good. And so today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, and see what it teaches us about how we can keep moving even when life gets hard. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start in verse 12. If not, it will be here on the screens for you. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, in in this little section here, we see three encouragements from Paul uh, that might not sound encouraging right off the bat. Okay, So, so the first thing he encourages us with is my life will have hard seasons. Now, again, not, in, not necessarily the most encouraging statement. You would think if you were going to write an encouraging letter, you would write about how, hey, uh, Philippians, once you guys start following Jesus, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be wealthier. You're going to be more attractive. Your clothes are going to fit better. Your kids are going to behave better. Your dog will start pee- stop peeing in the house. All of these kinds of things, right? And yet what Paul says is, hey, I want you guys to know what has happened to me has, has uh, happened for the cause of Christ. Now, the Philippians know what has happened to Paul is he's been thrown in prison. 
that's not the greatest thing in the world. You know, Paul writes all, all over the New Testament about the new life Jesus brings, about the hope, the joy, the peace, the power, the strength that he brings. And yet, if you know anything about Paul's life, you also know Paul knew what it was to suffer intensely for the cause of Christ. He was shipwrecked, he was snake bit, he was arrested, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was imprisoned numerous times. He was lied about, he was deceived, people tried to ruin the things that he had built, they tried to uh, malign his reputation. In every way a person could suffer, Paul suffered for Jesus. And, And so what we need to understand is if we are going to find encouragement in Christ, we have to be realistic about what it means to follow Jesus. And it means hard times will come. You know, it might initially feel better to have someone come and tell you, hey, everything's just going to get better. Everything's going to be up and to the right once you say yes to Jesus. The problem is it makes you feel better in the moment, but it makes you feel worse when reality comes. Because when your hard times come, if the only message you've ever heard is life is up and to the right with Jesus, well, when your life goes down and to the left, you start thinking there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with Jesus. But either way, it does not lead you to a healthy conclusion. But when we submit to the the whole authority of Scripture, and we hear the Apostle Paul saying, look, there's bad stuff that's going to happen. right?" When you hear Jesus saying, in this world, you will have trouble then it kind of settles our soul and can help us understand, okay, when hard times come, I don't have to freak out. I don't have to stop. I don't have to quit. I don't have to give up. I can keep moving forward because these hard seasons are not going to stop God's plan. That's the next thing Paul tells us. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, right? Our hard seasons cannot stop God's plan from moving forward. Now, I don't know if, if your Bible is like mine. It, mine has some subheadings over different sections of the Scripture. The one that it has over this one, it says, Paul's chains advance the gospel, which is even an interesting thought to think about because chains typically don't advance. Chains restrain, right? Chains are something we tie them down, we tie them up, we hold them back, hold something in place. But even the, the editors of the Scriptures who put them together have chosen to kind of teach us this idea of our hard seasons can't stop God's plan. In fact, oftentimes God will take the things the enemy intended to stop you and use them to propel you forward. Chains advance. It's this really pretty picture for us and kind of illustrates Paul's situation. Paul has been thrown in prison and those who've thrown him in prison have thought if we can get rid of him, maybe we can get rid of this new Jesus movement. He's an important voice. Wherever he goes, he starts churches. We're tired of it. So let's take away his freedom. Let's confine him to a prison, and then that will stop it. But Paul says, look, they put me here, and what's actually happened is now the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains for Christ. Jesus comes, and he takes Paul's prison and turns it into a platform for the gospel. Whether God sends the hard seasons to you or the hard seasons are the result of someone else's action or someone's persecution, they cannot stop God's purposes and plans from being fulfilled in your life. When we decide to keep moving through difficulty, it's not a decision that I'm going to be more disciplined, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be tougher. It's a decision that I'm going to live in the sovereignty and might of God and believe he holds my entire life in his hands. And this might have caught me off guard. It might be crushing me, but he is not surprised and he is not intimidated. And he's going to keep working through it. 
Right? And, and so what happens for Paul is they think this is how we'll shut him up. And instead, they wind up opening this whole new world of possibility for him. Now he's able to interact with people in Rome. Now people in positions of power are starting to hear the gospel. They're starting to hear this man, Paul, he's not just a criminal like all the other ones. He's not just a political prisoner, but he's in jail of this guy named Jesus. And let me tell you about who Jesus was. And let me tell you about who Jesus did. And what we see all through the New Testament is anytime that story is told, lives are changed, communities are transformed, and the world's turned upside down. Because God's plans cannot be stopped by our hard seasons. The other thing Paul tells us is that our hard seasons, when we are faithful in those hard seasons, it's encouraging to others. Listen to the the impact he says his imprisonment has on the other believers in Rome. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All right, Paul was in prison in Rome. There are other believers in Rome, and what happens is they start to hear Paul's in prison. And while Paul's in prison, he keeps telling people about Jesus. Now the whole palace guard knows while he's in change. Now everybody who visits him starts to hear about Jesus. And the people on the outside, instead of becoming intimidated of, well, we better shut up or they're going to throw us in jail like Paul, they begin to grow in confidence and think, well, if Paul can tell Jesus, tell people about Jesus in prison, then I can tell people about Jesus out here. And if God's plans aren't start, stopped with him in jail, then even if they throw me in jail, it's not going to stop it. Paul's faithfulness inspires confidence in the believers on the outside. And so again, what the enemy intended to throw water on the evangelical fire of the church actually pours gas on it. And it burns brighter and it burns hotter and it has a a more powerful and a more profound impact on the church. And it presents us again with this idea of you and I are supposed to be part of a circle of mutual encouragement to one another. We're supposed to know each other well enough that you know me, you know my story, and if you know I'm going through a hard time and you see me remaining faithful to Jesus, it should be a source of encouragement to you. And and then my job is to know you and to, to walk with you and to know your story. And when I see you being faithful to Jesus, it provides encouragement to me. So we are stuck then in this constant loop of I am either encouraging someone else or I'm being an encouragement to someone else. And we're constantly recognizing no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, God's plans will not be stopped. God's plans cannot be stopped. And he's bringing good out of every situation. And we have that responsibility to one another locally in this community. And we have that responsibility to our brothers and sisters around the world. That's the the beautiful part of the the missions trip that our students just went on, is they are learning the way God works is not restricted to South Tulsa and our culture. But he is just as good. He's just as powerful. And sometimes when when we step out of our cultural bounds, we see him at work in ways we've never imagined before. And it's incredibly encouraging to us. But our presence in Paraguay is also an encouragement to our Paraguayan brothers and sisters that no matter what stories you hear about America and how we are going to hell in a handbasket, whatever else you hear, there are people who love Jesus, who are following him, who are committed. And we begin to engage in this continual cycle of encouragement. We endure through hard seasons together, which means we all bear the responsibility of knowing one another, walking with one another, and sharing our stories. And and we're going to get a little more in-depth with that in a little bit with some of the comments that Paul makes. But he's starting to tell us, look, hard seasons are going to come, but when they come, don't freak out, don't stop, don't quit, just keep moving. 
And then he, he kind of takes this little side road here for just a second, and he addresses two ways that the Christians in Rome have responded to him while he's in prison. And in doing so, he shows us two ways that our fellow believers will respond to us when we go through hard seasons as well. He says in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And so he basically is, is saying, look, people have responded to me in, in one of two ways. Some have encouraged me, and some have discouraged me. Now, it's really important for us to pay attention here. Paul is talking about the way other Christians responded to him in his imprisonment. There were those who encouraged him. They began to preach the gospel out of love and goodwill. They cared for his needs. They cared for his friends. They looked after his affairs. And when you go through hard seasons, God is going to bring some of these people alongside of you. And you are going to love them and you are going to cherish them. They're going to be your lifelong friends. They're going to be the ones you know always have your back. This is the person we want to be for each other. When you're going through a hard season, when you think of me, I, I want you to think of me as Chris encouraged me. He helped me. He came alongside of me. When you think of your brothers and sisters at Christian Chapel, I want you to think those people have my back. They encouraged me. They walked with me out of love and goodwill. It overflowed into their actions. This is the the ideal response, and yet it's not the only response. Because Paul says there were also others who were preaching the gospel out of selfishness, out of ambition, out of rivalry, And so he's telling us, look, there are Christians who their motives are pure, the gospel is going forth through them, and then there were some other ones over here, and and they had kind of this mutual desire of they wanted to preach Christ and they wanted to stick it to Paul, right? And that would never happen now. I know, we've, 2,000 years, we have matured past that, right? There is no church drama, there is no personal anguish, you've never had the thought when something happened to another Christian of, well, finally, Right? Because I know, I know, like you're laughing because you know somebody maybe who did it one time, but not you. Because we're, we're encouragers, 100% all the time. Now, now, look, I don't have a subtext of a message here. There is not like these stories out here that I'm trying to address indirectly. Okay, I'll, I'll make a deal with you as your pastor. If I got a problem with you, I'm going to say it to your face, okay? And you can say it to mine as well, as long as it's nice. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's not, okay? So, but I, I do know. Like, I've done this long enough. I've grown up in the church. I've got a bunch of buddies that pastor all over the place. And I know that Christians don't always encourage each other well when life gets bad. And sometimes, in fact, it feels like you maybe go to a small group, you go to a home group, you go to what you think are your friends, and you start to tell them, here's what's happening. And suddenly it feels like there's a dog pile on you. Right? Anybody ever have that experience as a kid, a teenager? You're playing on the playground, you're in somebody's house, you're on the trampoline, and, and suddenly, so like for my buddies, we're just messing around doing stuff, and suddenly somebody yells, dog pile on Chris. And I know I better run as far and as fast and for as long as I can, because my friends aren't stopping until the very last guy has taken the flying leap onto the pile, right? And sometimes as Christians, when life is hard, this can be how we respond to each other. Because we go and we say, hey, man, life is, life is hard. Can I tell you, can I just tell you, I'm, I'm having some trouble at home. And instead of hearing, 
I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. Let's see what the Lord wants to say. Our response is like, well, yeah, I saw that coming. You're not a good husband, right? Well, I could have told you that. She was crazy when you married her. You're like, how does this help? How does it? You're like, yes, of course, your kids are headed for prison. You need to pay attention now. Right? We, we do this. And, and, and I'm not, not innocent of this. I, I was remembering earlier this morning when I was, uh, so I've been here 14 years now. My first six and a half years, I was a youth pastor. And Angie and I, we'd maybe been here a year, maybe not even quite a year, and we went to this youth pastor's retreat. And uh, so we're there. We don't really know anybody. We're meeting all these other youth pastors. And at some point in the weekend, they say, hey, we want you all to gather around a table uh, with some people you don't know, which was easy for us because we didn't know anybody. So uh, they said, and just share something that you're really praying about and have the people at your table pray with you. Now, we are all pastors in that room. We should know this, right? We should know there are two choices right now. You can encourage or you can discourage. And so we're sitting at the table, and 23-year-old me, who has recently graduated from seminary and knows how to answer every question and solve every problem, is sitting there. And there's an older youth pastor sitting across the table from me, and he, he starts to tell this story. Man, I've got this kid in my youth group. And he just, he causes so many problems and so many distractions. And we have talked to his parents and we've had the heart to hearts and we've taken him to lunch and we've sat down with a pastor even and talked to him. And, and I'm really wrestling with, are we at the point where we have to tell him, I'm sorry, buddy, you can't come to youth group anymore until you can hold it together a little bit more. So it's very vulnerable, very like, you know, just kind of putting yourself out there. And so here I come, Right. I've read the scriptures. I know what Jesus would do. Unfortunately, my wife wasn't holding my hand because if so, she would have squeezed it so hard in that moment. But I jumped right in. I said, hey, man, um, you know, Jesus tells a parable of the 99 sheep. And the one goes away and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Man, if you turn your back on this kid right now, you might be writing him off forever from the church. I think you got to do whatever you can to run after him. Now, now, my answer was okay, but I had no relationship with this guy. I had no context for his church, and I could tell from his face and everyone else's face at the, room, at the table that I had completely missed the whole point of the exercise. It was not for me to come in as the prophetic voice of truth and righteousness. This was an opportunity for me to come next to someone and say, man, I'm sorry. That is hard. Let's pray for God's wisdom. And and what we often do as Christians is we decide, hey, instead of actually engaging in the messiness of the relationship, I'm just going to kind of throw some truth bombs at you. And then it's on you. Because it's already messy, and I don't want to get in there. But, but if I can just kind of say, thus saith the Lord, and then head off, right? Now it's, now it's your problem. I don't have to deal with the mess of your family. I don't have to deal with the mess of your marriage. You don't have to get in the weeds of my insecurities. We can just kind of all from a distance and an arm's length say, it's probably your fault anyways. Good luck. And so this is what Paul is telling us. Look, not only are you going to get hard seasons, but sometimes Christians are going to come along, and they're going to make it harder. And sadly, this is what causes many people to turn their backs on Jesus and to turn their backs on the church because they think in my lowest moments when I thought the church would be there for me the most, they, they just came and told me it was all my fault. And if you're in that spot this morning, I want to say two things to you. First of all, I'm sorry. 
right, you might have heard some of those things from me, and that is not my intention. It's not the intention of anyone here. We are imperfect people. And sometimes when the messiness of someone's life confronts you, you're kind of stuck in that spot of like, I don't know what to say, but instead of just not saying anything, we fill the silence. And we don't always do it well. Second thing I would say to you is, is don't let the misdeeds and misactions of other Christians keep you from following Jesus through this hard season. They're not your savior. He is. And this is what Paul models for us. He teaches us when life gets hard, and especially when other believers react inappropriately to you, keep your focus on him, not them. Don't engage in the drama. Right? Don't, don't pour gas on all those lies and insecurities that start to rise up in your heart. But instead, keep looking to Jesus, to his purposes, to his plan. This is what Paul says. Look, if, hey, there's some guys out here who are trying to trying to ruin me, trying to steal my reputation, trying to do all these sorts of things out of their selfishness and their own ambition. But what does it matter to me? The gospel is preached, people are coming to know Jesus, and that's all that really matters. This idea of being able to keep our focus on Jesus and not on others, on Jesus and not our circumstances, is really kind of at the heart of this entire passage. The only way you keep moving through hard seasons is when you begin to adopt a big picture view of your life. As long as your sense of well-being and peace depends on your circumstances, you're never going to have a secure sense of well-being or peace. You're going to keep riding the roller coaster, the ups and downs. As life is good, you're good. As life is bad, you're bad. And what Paul is starting to show us is we find encouragement, not just that we know hard times are coming, not just that we know God is working through them, not just through the encouragement we receive from others, but we are able to keep moving forward when we begin to understand all of these things are small parts of my life, and I am part of a much bigger story that Jesus is writing. Paul says it this way in verse 19, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, it it wasn't easy. You know, sometimes I think we can read through Paul's story and just think, well, He's an apostle, of course he remained faithful. But he didn't discover some secret access to God that you and I don't have. He didn't have a cheat code for endurance. He simply knew, as I engage in community, the prayers of my brothers and sisters in Christ and the supernatural provision of the Spirit of Christ in me, God will use those two things to achieve my deliverance, whether in life or death. And it points us towards two things I want us to think about. Big picture living requires intentional effort. So if you're in a hard season this morning, you don't get to just sit back and hang out and hope to see God provides for you somehow. But Paul says, I know that through your prayers, God will work out my deliverance through life or death. Now, now that idea requires some effort for a couple reasons. First of all, people can't pray for you if they don't know you. One of the, again, the the common accusations against the church is, hey, I was hurting, I was suffering, I was in need, and nobody reached out to me. Nobody called me, nobody texted me, nobody visited me. Nobody came to pray with me. 
Nobody gave to meet my needs. And sometimes those accusations are true and the church has failed. Oftentimes, nobody did any of those things because nobody knows you. I can't hold you accountable for being part of God's presence in my life if I don't make an effort to build a relationship with you. But it's, it's the same way when Angie and I do pre-marriage counseling with, with couples who are getting married. We always tell them, you cannot get mad at your spouse for not doing the things you didn't tell them you wanted them to do. Right? They can't read your mind, and you can't read their mind. Now, but then we come into relationships with each other in the church, and we're going through hard seasons, and we just assume that somehow from the way we walked up on a Sunday morning, someone should know that we had a family member that died. We just assume, well, I had a little limp. They should have recognized. Right? They just thought that was your, your walk. They didn't know. Right? We have to come to this position of saying, look, if I want to endure through hard seasons, I'm going to need you and you're going to need me. So we've got to make a commitment to move past just sitting in rows together on Sunday morning. That's why we're constantly pushing at Christian Chapel. Get involved in a home group. Get in one of those adult discipleship groups. Right? Let's come. Let's serve together. Let's move past a smiling face and a first name and actually start to get to know one another. And if you're here this morning thinking, I, I, I just don't have any friends here. Well, there's two things you can do about that. First of all, we're all about to go to lunch here in 20 minutes or so, right? You're going to eat. Take someone with you. Start the process of making friends. The second one, I'm sure you have friends somewhere. Start bringing them with you. Start building that community yourself, right? You have to know and be known. But the, the second part of that, if others' prayers are going to be effective, they don't just have to know who you are. They have to know what you're going through. Paul knows the Philippians are praying for him because they know him and they care about him and also because they know he's in prison. This is why we, we do the prayer room dismissal every Sunday morning at Christian Chapel, trying to create some space for us to come and be honest with one another and say, there's some stuff in my life that's not going well. Will you pray with me? And in that moment of honesty, in that moment of vulnerability, of transparency, the Spirit comes and works in some really powerful ways. What we would all prefer to happen, though, is when we're going through a hard time, we would rather God put it on someone's heart somewhere else in the room to come find me after service and say, God told me that this is happening, so can we pray? And if he'll do that, then we'll be honest and tell someone. And sometimes he does that. Most of the time, though, he leaves it to us to take the step, to open our mouths, to share the story. And through the prayers of others, God begins the process of achieving our deliverance from this hard season. But we have to make that commitment. And, and parents, especially for us, we have to pay attention because we don't just have a job to make this commitment as adults. We have a job to help our children, our teenagers, start to make these same relationships and commitments now. It's, it's again, why we're pushing youth camp and summer camp and the missions trip and ministry camp and all these other things. We're not trying to provide child care programs for you. We're trying to provide opportunities for your kids to build lifelong relationships that are built on a mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. Because mom and dad, listen, your kid is going to make friends with someone and they're going to encourage them to do something. So you might as well make every effort you can to surround them by people with shared belief in Christ so that when the hard times come, the encouragement is keep following Jesus, not turn away from him. 
And I know it's not always easy. Right? You're going to get a lot of, Mom, I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. Dad, I don't want to go. They made me sit still and talk. You're going to get some of that. And the response as a parent is the same response you give your kids when they say, I don't want to go to school. Shut up and get in the car. Right? Like, this is just what we do. When you were four, you didn't want to wear pants to the store, but we made you do that. Now you're 14, you're still kind of in that area, but you don't know it, so get your butt to church. We're going to get in that D group. You're going to find an adult who cares about you that's not me, so you can be honest with them because you're not afraid they'll ground you when you tell them what's really happening. And then we're going to build this relationship. It does not happen by accident. If we want to be encouraged and we want to be encouraging to others in hard seasons, we have to intentionally build these relationships and relationships always take investments of time and expenditures of energy. They don't happen by accident. The second thing Paul tells us is that this big picture living also requires supernatural intervention. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. See, when life gets hard, God does not expect you to handle it through your own strength. He's not disappointed when you come and say, I can't do this. I can't take the next step. I don't see the way out of this. I know some of us this morning, you are in such a hard season that you are feeling it physically. You feel the weight on your shoulders. You feel the knot in your stomach. You feel the, the darkness in your mind. And the response when we're in our lowest of lows is to say, I can't do this. And God's there not saying, why not? But saying, I know. I know. That's why I sent Jesus. That's why he came for you. And so Paul is remembering in my darkest, hardest, most difficult seasons, I need God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, not just to come and tell me what to do, but to come and live inside of me and give me both the desire and the ability to actually do it. And then Paul finishes with, with kind of the motto of big picture living. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he's doing here is, is something he does in, in many of his letters. He's showing us that the only relationship we have in life that does not change at death is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That whether we are living with him, then all of our life is Christ. But if we die, we are also immediately with him. There is no break. There is no space. It's a continuation of this relationship. He says it elsewhere. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what he's reminding us of is if Jesus can handle death for me, then he can handle anything else I'm going to face from now to then. And if there's hope in death, then there is always hope in life. Just this, this wonderful reminder to us. And in that statement, to live is Christ, again reminds us. He is my hope. He is my joy. That's where I'm going to find my sense of meaning. It's where I'm going to find my fulfillment. It's where I'm going to place my identity. Because as long as I continue to place it in the circumstances of my life, if the honest statement of your life today is to live is my marriage, then your life is going to go up and down depending on your relationship with your spouse. If your statement is to live is my job, it's going to go up and down. To live is my finances, my health, my kids, my parents, my friends, my fitness, whatever it is, you're going to go up and down depending on the circumstances of those areas, and they're all going to go up and down. 
The only constant, the only security is the presence of Christ in your life. And what Paul has come to understand is these circumstances are part of my life, but they are not my life. Jesus is my life. To live is Christ. This is the big picture view that enables him to say, no matter what's going on here, I can look there and see God's kingdom advancing. I can look there and see him moving forward. I can look there and see him delivering. I can look there and see him healing. I can look there and see him providing. And because of what he's doing there, that's my life. That's where my security, that's where my hope is found. And that's why I have encouragement in every single situation. And so Paul's message to you and I today is the same message he was preaching to himself in prison, the same message he would preach to the Philippians, the same message he would preach to the believers in persecuted churches that he had planted. Keep moving forward. When life gets hard, keep moving forward. And we can be here today and we hear that and think, I just can't. I just can't. I can't keep moving. I can't get that next step. I can't turn that next corner. I cannot do it on my own. And if you're still at the point of thinking you've got to do it, you've missed the whole point of what we're talking about this morning. The whole point is in our hard seasons, we just surrender to God's power and we surrender to his presence. Right? And, and Jesus comes to us and the way he comes to us in our hard seasons is sometimes he comes down. And it's the real gentle pat on the back and he's saying, hey, let's go. Let's keep moving. I put my spirit in you. You can take this next step. Let's do it. Right? Sometimes he comes down and some of us are more hard-headed and it's a kick in the pants. It's a, hey, all right, we've had this pity party before. Let's get up and get moving. Right? Sometimes he grabs you by the hand and walks with you. Sometimes he grabs you by the hand and drags you along. But in either way, however he does it, he's going to come in the way you need, in the moment you need it, to remind you where you are is not where you will always be. You can move forward through this hard season. I love that that Paul contains this element of deliverance. He says, I believe that your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will lead to my deliverance. He's not saying the hard season is just where you're stuck and where you stay and you just hope to endure. And I believe God will lead us into new life. I believe God will lead us into new seasons. And whether that's through life or death, my confidence is in him. And this is the same confidence we find ourselves in this morning. So I don't know what your situation is. It might be of your own creation. It might be the result of your own sin, the result of your own poor choices that you have just created ashes of everything you loved in your life. And this morning you're you're hurting, you're suffering, and you don't see a way out. But Jesus comes says, I see you, I forgive you, I love you, and I have a plan for you. Where you are is not where you will always be. And so often we think, okay, Lord, show me where I'm going to be, and then I'll start moving. Say, no, 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 let's just get going. Let's just get going. We're going to start walking the path to deliverance. We're going to start walking the path to healing. Maybe, Maybe the reason you're stuck is because of what's been done to you because others have harmed you, because others have broken trust, because others have have placed circumstances on your life that have just upended everything. And this morning, Jesus comes and says, hey, let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Through the prayers of others, through the provision of Jesus Christ, you are going to experience deliverance. But the point Paul makes again and again and again is that your situation is not ultimately about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus. 
It's about his power and his provision. You cannot overcome your grief on your own. You cannot break the chains of addiction by yourself. You can't end the cycles of worry and anxiety, but Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will. Our hope is in what he has done and that it becomes our reality right here and right now. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray with you and give us a chance to to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, Lord, we come. We come acknowledging our needs, acknowledging our brokenness. Lord, you see our temptation to, to elevate the size and the difficulty of our problems. Lord, to become so consumed with what's wrong that it blows it completely out of proportion and and we're not able to see a way out. Jesus, we pray this morning that you would come and remind us of your power and remind us of your strength. Remind us that you stand over and above every obstacle that's in front of us. Remind us that you come under, you come around, you come behind us to to bring your power, to bring your strength, to lead us in your path of victory. Lord, I pray especially for those today who are, are facing circumstances, Lord, that feel a lot like Paul. They feel like chains, they feel like prison. They feel permanent and they see no way out. Today, Lord, will you come and magnify the power of Jesus Christ to us to break every chain, to set every captive free, to bring hope into the the most hopeless of situations, to shine your light into the darkest of our moments. Jesus, will you come in your power and in your might? If you're here today and you're in one of those hard seasons, will you lift a hand where you are so we can pray and just agree together? Lord, we come asking for your kingdom to come, asking for your power to be released, asking, Lord, that through the prayers of others and through the provision of your spirit, we will experience your deliverance today. Lord, we believe that these hard seasons have not caught you by surprise and are not beyond your ability to deliver us from. So Holy Spirit, will you come in your power and your strength and bring freedom and life to us this morning? Show us that first step to take on the path that you're laying out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's gonna lead us in in a song they led us through earlier that just talks about the power of the name of Jesus. As we sing that, it's not a, a generic statement about a religious idea. It's a declaration of the personal power of Jesus in your life this morning. Over every relationship, over every need, over every difficulty, he comes in power and he comes in deliverance. As we sing that, if you'd like someone to join with you in personal prayers, I'm going to invite you to head out the back doors and to the left. Our pastors and prayer team will meet you in the prayer room ready to agree together that through our prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ, God will bring deliverance. Don't let your fear keep you where you are. Don't let your uncertainty keep you where you are. Go receive those prayers. Sing the song as a statement of faith. Let's invite God to come and make these things not just truths that we hear, but truths that we live.
Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.